today is the last day of June. It's June 30th of 2022, and we welcome you to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer in the area of communications, and uh, what I mostly do in communications is this podcast, which is available both in audio and video versions for you. We'll tell you more later if you want to maybe let other people know how to find it, or if you're listening on audio, how to get it to video and vice versa. Uh, so, but we're glad you're with us. Chapter 49 uh, represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. So we're very happy you chose to join us. And we're also happy that Duncan Giles, our chapter president, has joined us again. And summer is in uh, full swing. And I understand you actually celebrated the start of summer by going to a Major League Baseball game. Yeah, my uh, my absolutely fantastic girlfriend, uh, had never been to a major league game, knew that I was a Dodgers fan. So last week we went to, uh, an afternoon Dodgers Reds game. Yeah. And I understand uh, the Dodgers one question you know, beating the Reds is not really a big deal in the major <laughs> leagues because the Reds are one of the worst teams in the major leagues, but that's, that's uh, for a sports podcast. So it's not for our podcast today, but I hope I'm glad you two uh, enjoyed the trip to Cincinnati, had good weather. And I know it was not always, uh, assured that you would have good weather, but you did. So we're glad you're enjoying summer. We hope everybody watching and listening is enjoying their summer. We've talked about that uh, numerous times on this podcast because getting out and enjoying life, going to uh, going outside, just doing the things that uh, you enjoy, you need to do that. You need to balance your life. And uh, if you don't balance your life, it comes back to haunt you at some point. Well, we're going to come now to our issues, and uh, I'm not sure if this issue has much to do with balance, but it is about return to the office. I don't know if that's balanced or not, because this is the week, and we've been waiting for this for months, you know, that there would be a return to the office. There was a kind of, it was kind of a mini return to the office a few weeks ago, and this week, this beginning uh, this week, uh, this has been the return to office week where the uh, evacuation order is no longer in place and people who are using the contract in, in their use of telework. So, Duncan, we're only a few days in. Uh, how's it going? Uh, it's it's moving forward. Let's put it that way. It's bumpy, but that's to be expected. Uh, you're always going to have issues with something like this. It's almost like um, you know starting a car up that hasn't really been uh, going for two years and getting the office back up and going, making sure everything was there. The, uh, the managers have been there, uh, for a little while to make sure everything is ready, but yeah, we've been pushing nationally and wells locally to make sure areas are clean, uh, that regular cleanings are being done. Um, it's, it's just, you know, smart, our smart cards working or this working, is that working? Yeah, you know, we've had a lot, bunch of little things, but thankfully so far, uh, I've not seen anything in the state of Indiana, and I haven't heard anything from my compatriots across the country that is telling me that there are any huge issues out there, aside from the fact that there's a lot of social anxiety from folks who, who are understandably apprehensive about coming back into the office. I wonder, maybe you don't know, maybe just a feel, uh, if you have no actual data on this, 
but how many people are returning to the office this week or next with their two if they're working maximum uh, telework then they have to be in the office two days after you know within a two week pay period this is the first week of the pay period do we have any idea how many people are coming into the office for the first time since we had that uh, evacuation order go into place uh not sure right now we've got anecdotal uh things but nothing hard data but i would say it's it's quite a few employees out there um you know i get reports on uh covid on the indiana pod's and had one where an employee reported covid uh and you know when were they last in the office well they were last in the office two years ago uh in this particular it was a smaller pod and so yeah my response back to fmss was and we're not going to do extensive cleaning for that um it's just one of those things where, you know, people have shown that they can do the job full time from home. But the IRS, in its wisdom, has wanted to get, th- get that sense of community and collaboration, as they call it, to have folks come in at least twice a pay period to try and get that esprit de corps going again. Well, as long as they are, in fact, collaborative, that's fine. And, but, I, yeah, that is interesting. I uh, I know that you discussed at some length in some past podcasts just the types of discussions that you had, because you were there for the national agreement bargaining from beginning to end. You were one of two permanent chapter presidents along with the IRA, the NTU staff, and, of course, the management side uh, that talked at length about telework, talked at length about expanding telework, which you did get the chance to do in terms of numbers of positions that would be uh, covered by it. But yet, you still haven't been able to crack that one code on allowing people to work out of their home most of the time. There are some small agencies that are experimenting with that, having you know basically your home is your POD. And uh, I'm beginning to wonder if, if once some data is available on that, if that might be something that uh, the union would push in the future. Oh, it's absolutely something that NTU is looking at doing and has pushed ever since we completed the negotiations on the national agreement, uh, because we believe that there are many positions out there that don't have to report to the office. And we understand the issues about locality pay, things of that nature. We do understand that, but we feel those can be dealt with. It's just something that it's, you know, this is quite a big step for IRS to take in, in doing the telework that they're doing now. So they're wanting to, make sure that everything is okay before they even look to expand it further. So at this point, you are required at minimum uh, to be in the office two work days out of a two-week pay period. Uh, that is the requirement now. So are, are you seeing any disputes over um, between managers and employees? About, uh, maybe the manager is pushing that employee to be in more than two days of pay period, whether they really need to be there or not. So far, no, but, and that's for Indiana now in other parts of the country, that may be different. Uh, but we have not had that yet crop up in the state of Indiana. That has been the fear when they talk about doing something like this is okay. Is somebody going to try and take it upon themselves to have their own interesting interpretation of the national agreement that says, Oh yeah, I can have these people come in three or four times a pay period instead of twice. Uh, I don't think that's been widespread. 
And uh, when then that's been brought to the attention of national, um, you know, our national vice president, Doreen Greenwald and national head of negotiations, Ken Moffat, have been very quick to reach out to their IRS counterparts to work that issue. So I guess the bottom line here is that uh, it's uh, you and your fellow chapter presidents and people uh, involved with the national NTEU organization are all going to be taking a look at this. And maybe by the time we do our next podcast, we might have a little better feel for that. Correct. Let's talk about COVID in another way. Uh, of course, COVID is what caused the evacuation order. COVID is starting to tamp down in terms of it, uh, making people sick and putting them in the hospital. But COVID is still out there. It, you can still catch it. It is still spreading. And we still have high-risk areas in America. For example, uh, the Chicago area has been, it has been designated by health officials to be a high-risk area for getting COVID. St. Louis, another area designated as a high-risk area in, in being able to catch COVID. So you want to be especially careful in those places, and I know we have a, a few uh, listeners to our podcast in those areas. And the other part of that, uh, Duncan, is that yes, uh, mask wearing is now an option; it is not required. So I'm I'm wondering if, if there's probably no good way to measure this. Do we know how many people are choosing to wear masks, or is there any, an, like you say, anecdotal evidence that would tell us anything there? Yeah, this is one of those things where the um, the SCRs, the Senior Commissioner's Representative Organization, uh, goes out each week and lets, um, you know, when a particular post of duty changes uh, in their respective low, medium, or high risk, they'll send something out. So, you know, Chicago and St. Louis are two examples that have been in a high risk where everybody's required to wear a mask. Even if you're not in a high risk area, you absolutely have the option of wearing a mask. And I do know that several employees in the state of Indiana and across the country are doing that when they're in the post of duties. And it goes to, you know, I think that is just a smart way to do it. I myself believe that right now, because COVID is not as severe as it was, the symptoms uh, um, of that, that it's probably being greatly underreported. We probably have a lot of cases out there that are not being reported because of the fact that the symptoms aren't that great, people might think they have the flu or a cold or something of that nature. So it can be disconcerting. So, you know, I'm one of those, uh, you know, that wears a mask when I go out in public. Um, you know, I know several people that do do that, uh, employees as well. And if you want to wear a mask while you're working, even in a low-risk area, absolutely you should feel free to do that. No one should say you shouldn't be wearing a mask, don't wear a mask, anything of that nature, because this is your health that you're dealing with. NTU, both nationally and locally, is doing everything we can to make sure that the areas that you're working in are as safe as possible. But there's still going to be a lot of personal responsibility to do what you can for yourself. So that's why I urge people, make sure you're vaccinated, make sure you get your boosters, wear a mask when you're going to be talking to people in public. And there's another aspect of COVID that we need to talk about, and that has to do with the vaccine mandate. We've been giving updates on this. We do have a little more information now for you. Uh, just uh, for those who maybe haven't been following this, 
the President Biden issued a vaccine mandate for all federal employees that was challenged in the courts. And one federal judge in Texas uh, uh, issued an order that was supposed to be honored nationwide saying the vaccine mandate was not legal. I don't remember if it's constitutional, but he basically struck it down using legal arguments. Went to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is in New Orleans, Louisiana. Well, an appeal like that first goes to a three-judge federal panel. So those federal judges on that, those three judges on the panel voted two to one to say President Biden has the right to invoke a vaccine mandate. There's nothing illegal about it. He has the legal right to do it. Well, the people who are trying to strike down the vaccine mandate went to the appeals court, the full court of all the judges, which is like, what, 20, 25 judges, kind of depends on the circuit. They want all the judges to hear the case and vote on it. Now, the appeals court doesn't have to do that, but in this case, the, the, the decision was made, and it was just a few, I mean, we'd heard rumors and rumblings that this was going to happen, but it became official just a few days ago that this, uh, this, this appeals court uh, would hear the case before the entire court. All the judges are going to hear this case again. They're going to basically start over. It's like a second-tier of appeal in the same court. So that's going to be uh, heard soon. But the real question here is what happens to the vaccine mandate? Uh, is it Does it be implemented during this appeals process or not? And as we understand the legal standing at this point is that that vaccine mandate is, no, is still being held in abeyance, still be on hold legally while this appeal is being heard. So, Duncan, it looks like we're still in a holding pattern on that. That vaccine mandate is still possibly out there, but it, it's not being uh, implemented at this time. Exactly so. Yeah, it's one of those things that the panel is the panel of judges, as you said, has said, OK, we're going to go ahead and review this, the full panel. And until we do review this and make a decision, that's going to be the status quo. We're going to hold the vaccination in abeyance, which means we're not moving forward with it. So as of right now, there is no vaccine mandate. Now, once they come down with their decision, uh, you know, shortly after that, it could go back into effect. But as of this moment in time, uh, it is not in effect. So, uh, you know, although we urge folks to, like I said, get vaccinated, get boosted, uh, there is no mandate right now. Okay, so that's the where it stands. We have to. We're once again going to wait on the full court to rule on this. And uh, but just for people who know, if you're unhappy with whatever that court decides, the only appeal left is the U.S. Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decides which cases it's going to take. Whether that would take that case is 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 is, is a good guess as yours as mine. There's just no way of knowing that, and they only take a small number of cases. Would they take this case? It is kind of a prominent case who knows so uh, that's where things stand now the ma vaccine mandate is not being enforced at least at this time and, and we'll let you know if that changes i want to move on to another issue because uh duncan commissioner Reddy, you had a chance to meet with him talk with him some time ago when he was a fairly new commissioner and visited indianapolis he made some remarks to Congress recently about the 2020 tax year, uh, about trying to catch up on that. 
He did praise employees. It was always good to see a commissioner willing to do that because he knows the employees are working as hard as, as possible on all, all everything that's backed up. Most importantly, that uh, paper backup, the, the tax returns that are on paper, and also uh, correspondence on paper. Uh, obviously, the services are way behind and all that, and the employees are working as hard as they can, and some being taken out of the, the regular job at this point to do that work for now. Uh, and, you know, he, the, the, the commissioner said a lot of other things. He talked about the need for more hiring, which NTU fully agrees with him on that, and the need for new technology, which NTU is also quite on board with him. So we have some commonality with the commissioner on a number of these issues. So when you when you read the, the what the commissioner had to say in that speech, what was your reaction uh, you know, like you, I was very pleased that he recognized the efforts of the employees. Uh, you and I have talked many times on this podcast about the amazing job that employees have done, uh, you know, especially during this pandemic, the last two years, to get as much work done as we have been. But there's just not, as he said, there's not enough people. We do not have enough people. I don't know when we're going to be able to hire and retain that's the key thing to me, retain those that we do hire. And the technology that we have is simply outdated and it makes it tougher. We are making advances. They are do, uh, doing some things a little bit differently that do speed some things up. But, you know, to change our systems is sort of like trying to change a flat tire on a car going 60 miles an hour. Uh, it can be done, but it's going to be very difficult to do. And it's going to take some time. And that's what it amounts to, because we can't shut down and just say, OK, we're going to switch over all our systems and we're going to be down a month. We don't have that advantage. We can't do that. So it's one of those things where we've got to do it piecemeal and they're doing the best they can. But it's woefully underfunded. We still need, you know, I know a lot of money over the years, over the decades has gone to improving our IT, but it's a continual thing that we need to do to provide better service to the American taxpayers and to make the job easier for employees. It's a win-win for everyone if we get that funded. And we have to have the employees to be able to do the job, whether it's in the service centers, on the phones, uh, collecting the revenue, auditing the companies, um, any of the support staff, whatever it is. We need more employees in every single part of the IRS. You know, Duncan, I'm, I don't think you have been with the service long enough to remember this because this goes back to the 1980s when I was working in examination the, where they do the audits. And the IDRS system was was the backbone system we used for processing returns, even tracking uh, everything that went in uh, as far as audits were concerned. And the IT people went in and did what they called the SCURS conversions. I can't even remember what SCURS stood for. It's one of those many acronyms we had. There was a conversion to us. It was supposed to be an updated system. And, Doug, and the entire system went down. And all of us who were working in the clerical area of, of examination, we had to pile up all the, the paper cases because we couldn't process them. We had to wait until we, the system came up. And sometimes it only came up certain hours of the day. They couldn't even keep it up all day. And that was a great example of trying to change the, the you know, trying to, how should I put it, uh, completely retool an airplane while, while it's flying. It's the same sort of thing that uh, is going on. So you don't want to ever get into a situation 
with the backbone IRS system for processing returns and tracking examinations and all those sorts of things go they go down. I mean, if that happens, that's that is catastrophic. And if that happened, and you also had a paper backlog, I mean, the public would probably string us up, uh, the the Congress too, because uh, it would be impossible to do our work. So I think that what the commissioner is saying is. A word, a kind of a warning shot saying, look, you know, if we continue with these personnel issues, we can continue to be way behind the ball technologically, we're going to pay a price for it. And the public will be the ones who will suffer. Exactly so. And this commissioner's term ends in November. And, you know, but he's still out there pushing every chance he gets for the more hiring, for the more money for IT, because he realizes how important it is. And I give him kudos for that. Yeah, and just for people who don't know, I believe it's, is it not a five-year term for a commissioner? And he That was, is correct. So he, uh, we don't know what President Biden will do. I don't know if Mr. Redding wants another five years of that job, uh, but it will be up to President Biden to appoint someone, whether it's Mr. Redding reappointed or if he appoints someone else to come in there and do that job. Uh, that's It's a five-year term. Now, some commissioners haven't served all five years, and... Uh, there's a lot of stories there, but uh, that you, you go in unless you know you do something awful, you're there for for five years. So, um, yeah, and, they they looked at me, but they didn't think I would do good appearing before Congress. Oh, uh, so you missed that Mister Universe thing and have to have now your commissioner <laughs> candidate? Is that it? Okay, I'm just checking. Uh, yeah, that's right, Duncan. You might who knows get your resume in now. I got no reaction on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, there, there's some, uh, something else we need to talk about in terms of processing because, yes, the, uh, we are still behind, way behind as an organization. I should say we because I've been retired for a long time. But the agency is way behind on 2021 tax year documents. Now, what kind of documents are we talking about and how far behind are we as far as what you know of on all this? Uh, we're very, very far behind because – you know, we've, we've basically done these surge teams to take people out of other jobs and put them towards things, whether it be on the phones or whether it's uh, doing 1040Xs or whatever it is, to try and get as much as we can of the 2020 tax year caught up. The good news is we've basically done that, which is great. The bad news is it sacrificed everything else. So now 2021 tax year is piled up just about as high as the 20 was, according to the National Taxpayer Advocates Report that we saw. So it's, you know, is this going to be a never-ending cycle until we get more hiring, if we're able to get more hiring, and if people will stay? Um, You know, because these jobs are not the highest paying in the world to uh, process returns. The people who do them are good. They work their butts off. Um, you know, but we just need a lot more of them to be able to catch up. And, you know, it's not something you can learn overnight. It's going to, there's a little bit of a learning curve. So this is not a problem that's going to go away easily. You know, the taxpayer advocate did uh, issue that report you talk about, and that's a very interesting situation. This came out of the restructuring of the internal revenue service that happened in the late 1990s. That law established the taxpayer advocate. And that would be one person who was appointed, uh, or yeah, I believe that person is appointed. And that 
taxpayer advocate oversees that entire organization. You know, if you're most local offices, every state has a taxpayer advocate operation. They have a local taxpayer advocate. They work cases. They have case workers, case advocates, all, all those sorts of things. But that taxpayer advocate at the national level is interesting because even though that taxpayer advocate is a part of the IRS, it is supposed to be an independent part of the IRS. So if the IRS on one hand says, oh, we're making progress, we're working on this uh, paper inventory, we're, we're making progress, and the taxpayer advocate uh, maybe the next day says, uh, wait a minute here, maybe you're not doing as well as you say, maybe we are still way behind and we have a lot of work to do. That's sort of what has happened uh, with the taxpayer advocate. Uh, it is supposed to be totally independent within the IRS system and uh, give an unbiased view of where things are. And I, I find that a very interesting. Not too many government agencies have something like an advocate within the agency's management chain itself. Yeah, when this was originally set up, it was one of those things where they talked about, well, how can somebody be truly independent if they're doing this? Uh, well, you know, in my 20-plus years as chapter president, I can flat guarantee you they've all been very independent. Um Sometimes they uh, cross swords quite a lot with IRS leadership on things they would like to see done. So uh, I, I think that having the advocate there is a great thing. I think it uh, irritates some of our employees and some of our management and leadership officials. But overall, I believe the practice is good to have somebody that's looking out for the taxpayers. And if there are any systemic problems, issues, things of that nature are falling through the cracks. There's somebody there to try and catch it. But like the rest of the IRS, they're woefully understaffed and overworked, the ta the taxpayer advocates. So it's it's tough for them as well. And when you have so many issues, you have, you know, you're so way behind, there are going to be a lot of cases in taxpayer advocate. There are a lot of people who are being impacted and, and you know, they need somebody to intervene for them. So these caseworkers, I guess they st they're still hiring them. I mean, that's one growth area of the IRS are these caseworkers and taxpayer advocate. It's sad to see that because of reason that needs so many people because our systems are breaking down, and that's what that advocate's operation was set up to do. So we'll uh, keep an eye on that. And, and any time the advocate issues a report, you need to pay attention. That, as you say, a very set up to be an independent part of the IRS and the top managers outside the advocate know better than to ever challenge the advocate. <laughs> they just leave the advocate alone. <laughs> they don't ever challenge the advocate. That's that's uh, their independence needs to be treasured. Okay, Duncan, time for your final comment. I just, um, yeah, we're coming up to the July 4th holiday. Some of you, by the time you listen or view this may have already uh, been through that. I, I just want everybody to take the time to spend, you know, be with your family, be with your friends, uh, be safe, and, you know, realize how precious our independence is. That this is something, you know, this experiment that's gone on for, you know, well over 220 years, 240 years, is, is something that was very, very unique in world history and is still going strong today and will continue to go strong. So it's it's something to be celebrated. I'm very much a believer in uh, the patriotic themes of the 4th of July. And I just think that 
everybody should take the time if they have it to be with family and friends, reflect a little bit, get your batteries recharged and get ready for the second half of the year. I just have one thing to add to that, Duncan. All that's, those are all good comments, but uh, I know where I live in Indiana and in most of Indiana and a large swath of the country, we are way below normal in our rainfall, which means if you're playing around with fireworks, please be careful. Don't start any fires because it's sadly way too easy to start a fire when you have uh, very dry conditions and you're playing around with fireworks. So if you do know what you're doing, take all the precautions and uh, don't be starting any fire, any grass fires. We've already been warned in my HOA, you know, watch your fireworks because we are extremely dry at the moment. We're way uh, below our rainfall level. And I think that's true in many parts uh, of the United States. Duncan Giles, thank you once again for being a part of this podcast. It wouldn't be the same without you. And we thank you for watching and listening. The video version is available on YouTube. Just look up Duncan Giles. There are several of them. Look at the one with the Chapter 49 podcast on the video feed. And uh, the audio version is available on just about any podcast platform on audio. uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and on and on. So you can find it there. Just search under Podcasts by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. You'll see all the podcasts I produce, and the Chapter 49 podcast will be on that list. Well, once again, thank you for watching and listening. We appreciate the fact that you're with us, and we will be back, if all goes well, again next week. So please be kind and be safe.